Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're back! We're back! So are the Pistons! We're excited! Woo! Uh, ben and I discussed the Joe Johnson edition and our concerns over his role on this team. Uh, we talk about what we're looking forward to seeing in the preseason, and uh, we talk about what we're going to expect from the Pistons this year. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Uh, leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. Uh, in order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this upcoming season. This upcoming season is here. Uh, with all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased to be rejoined, as always, by my co-host, Ben Gulger. Ben, how are you doing? Laz, I'm doing great. I'm excited. Preseason basketball is like 24 hours away, I think, right now for Pistons fans. So uh, podcasters get a preseason too, right? So I'm expecting at least a couple voice cracks and a couple uh, uhs and ums in there. But uh, yeah, I'm ready to do this thing. Yeah, it's it's early for all of us, definitely. <laughs> it's the preseason for everybody. Wait, hang on. All right, yeah, it's technical difficulties. Preseason, different. I called it right as it happened. You really did. <laughs> all right, so the first thing uh, after our uh, our welcome back is uh, Media Day. Media Day was Monday. Um, and the first thing that stood out to me about Media Day was that Dwayne Casey and Ed Stefanski were uh, a little too complimentary of the uh, veteran presence of Joe Johnson, and so that that kind of that kind of terrified me. Joe Johnson is thirty eight years old. I don't I don't like how much they they sound like they're going to rely on him. Do Do you like how much they sound like they're going to rely on him? Oh, I'm super scared of this too. I mean, Joe Johnson is older than me, right? Like. And, uh, you know, I was never an NBA caliber athlete, but I know that so you might at, be in better shape but. at 36. I'm not doing what I was doing at 25 either. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not thrilled with this. I've got three main reasons why you know, last year we know that Joe Johnson didn't play in the NBA, but two years ago when he did, you know, Joe is a guy who's known for his shot and his ball handling two years ago, his shot just completely fell apart. He looked to me washed up 40% from the field and 27% from deep. Those are literally Stanley Johnson kind of numbers. So that that's pretty scary for a guy who is being hyped up by the coaching staff. My second reason, we've got young shooting guards, right? We've got um, Luke Kennard. We've got Bruce Brown. We've got Kyrie Thomas. It doesn't make any sense to me um, to have those guys sitting behind Joe Johnson. And even if you move him to the three, I think you still get the same problem because we've got Svee, right? We want to know if this kid's an NBA player or not. So, you know, what good does it do for those young guys to get stuck behind Joe Johnson? And then third and finally, if we keep Joe Johnson, we got to cut somebody, right? And Christian Wood has been the guy speculated as the likely target there. And to me, Wood was the most interesting pickup this offseason. He's super low risk, super high reward kind of pickup. Doesn't cost the team hardly any money. He's a guy that the stat lovers like me just love to have as a backup. Big man, super efficient, good rebounder. And the Pistons do not have another option of backup center right now. I mean, Thon Maker and Markeith Morris 
ooh, backup center. I don't know, man. That sort of makes me cringe. So, you know, if they're going to rely on Joe Johnson the way they talked about him on media day, my optimism about the Pistons as a whole takes a little bit of a step back because I think there's too many dominoes that could fall the wrong way um, if the Pistons are relying on 38-year-old ISO Joe. No, that's totally fair. But the sense I got was that Joe was going to play small ball four, small ball backup four. Oh. <laughs> but like that's, that's I think, a more appropriate role for him than uh, – than you know shooting guard or small forward because you know he's 38 he can't move like he, he used to be able to it's it's easier for him to just kind of like set picks and float uh in that in that pseudo stanley johnson role or thonmaker role uh than you know for him to uh you know consistently create shots uh for the team on the wing and so i i take it from your groan though that the thought of joe as a backup forward doesn't appeal to you either oh okay so 12 months ago if you had said Derek Rose, Luke Kennard, V, Joe Johnson, question mark. That's your second unit. Oh, my goodness. What would you have said? I don't know. That's kind of scary to me. Yeah, can't defend anybody. <laughs> and who's rebounding? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I, I agree with you, though. I'm, I'm, I'm very worried about this. But uh, I think the your third point about Christian Wood is a little bit less of a concern because I think the coaching staff – and the front office likes Christian Wood. And so I think if it comes down to a roster choice between those two guys, they, there will be a corresponding move. Someone else will get moved. Yeah, uh, Langston Galloway's got to be that guy, right? Yeah, pretty much, basically. Or, you know, I like Kyrie Thomas, but uh, yeah, Kyrie, yeah. Kyrie's probably more appealing in trade than Langston. It'd be tougher to get, uh, you know, matching salary back on a second year, second round well, pick. And I guess now that you're thinking about it and, and mentioning those options, I think eating a second round draft picks second year salary is, is not that big of a deal either, as opposed to Galloway who's on the hook for not quite the middle level exception, but you know, a significant yeah. chunk of it. Yeah. And so, and, but it is gotta be one of those shooting guards most likely because the Pistons are stuffed with guys who can play shooting guard at the absolute least. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just concerned that they said they were going to be playing Joe at like in, in literal end of game situations. Like, oh my gosh! Like, so I guess that means Black Blake Griffin at five, right? That wow, that's all kinds of weird. Oh my gosh! And they talked about that a little too, and that didn't that didn't appeal to me either. Actually, let's let's talk about Blake. the The main thing we're both worried about, and that all Pistons fans are worried about, is that Blake Griffin won't be able to finish the season because he'll be hurt. Uh, to that end, they asked about load management. They asked Blake. They asked Casey. And the thing that they both emphasized was wasn't necessarily that Blake would be given individual games off. He wouldn't be, you know, he'd still be playing both halves of a back to back, but that they were going to try and do a better job of resting him like in games, um, averaging, you know, I think he averaged like 35 minutes a night last year. Maybe they want to get that closer to like 33, 32 minutes a night. But, uh, you know, in, in the month of January, when the season was on the line, Blake was averaging 38 minutes a night. And so I'm not entirely sure the the coaching staff is going to stick to their word on that one. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a tough one, right? Cause I, I loved Blake Griffin's soundbite, which is I'm a believer in science. I'm the same way, Blake, we are on the same page about that. But I think what's hard is, you know, as fans, we have so little access to whatever proprietary data they may have had. Right. So kind of the best we can do as fans is look at, okay, well, well, how do guys play when they have zero days of rest versus one day versus two days or whatever? And we know that 
if you're going on zero days of rest as at the team level, you're going to play worse than you do on three days of rest. We know that for absolutely certain. So what we don't know is if the Pistons have, you know, done some sort of proprietary research into, uh, you know, it's, it's better for guys to play 25 minutes a night versus taking an entire game off. We don't know what they have access to. I am encouraged to the fact about the fact that they are going to be in consultation with doctors though, rather than just con- trusting common sense. Um, but I will say, you know, that from my perspective, um, you know, as a guy who, who did play basketball, I've admittedly a much lower level to me, I always felt like a day off a day completely off was, was better than, you know, trying to go through a light practice. So, you know, these guys are obviously at an entirely different caliber in terms of their athleticism and all of those things. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how those, how this plays out. I'm curious, Laz, what are your thoughts about this? What do you think the Pistons ought to do around load management for Blake? So I, I am also in favor of full days off in favor of, uh, you know, picking out, you know, X number of games in the schedule. Like, Hey, this is, this will be the fourth game in seven nights or like, Hey, this will be the second half of a really tough back to back or, or, Hey, this will be the second half of like a road, road West coast back to back or something like that. And it was like, it's, it just, the you're pushing the red line a little too far and so it, it doesn't make any sense to to play a guy um and you know the hope is that um the backup bigs that they've uh acquired in the offseason in markeith morris and in and in to a lesser extent Thonmaker are guys who can uh markeith was a starter last year he can hopefully start capably in blake stead so that they're not doing things like relying on gr3 at the at the small ball four like they did at times last year and so i'm i'm hopeful that they they looked at what happened last year and saw that blake was run down um and and are determined to do a different job of it so that that doesn't happen you know the other thing is that you know we saw later in the year last year as the team got more comfortable um and as uh as the team started to have more team success, the ball was out of Blake's hands a little bit more. And so I'm wondering if that is also another way in order to get Blake more in-game rest. This is just not uh, leverage, not uh, give him as high a usage rate, just and take him out of the play more so that uh, he can give, so he can be healthy towards the end of the year. You know, that's why you bring in a guy like a uh, Derek Rose. That's why you, uh, that's why you play a Luke Kennard and, and tell him to, uh, you know, run the offense through himself more often so that Blake, uh, while he's not necessarily like taking games off, he's taking individual plays off. And hopefully that that adds up over the course of a season. Yeah. The other point I was going to mention in favor of maybe not giving him full games, full games off is a guy like Reggie Jackson, guys like Derek Rose. If these guys stay healthy and they're playing at the, the top of their game, right? Those are guys who are best with the ball in their hands. So, I mean, when you look at tape from a season ago, I think we sort of got used to it and became accustomed to it, but Blake is an incredibly physical player on offense and he bangs and bruises a, a lot more than I would have expected before he became a piston. So I think you're right. If there are, if there are games where you can design schemes and game plans around other players to avoid some of that bumping and bruising that goes on inside. Uh, maybe that's another approach as well. No, definitely. Uh, so the next thing I wanted to talk about was uh, when, so our at Detroit bad boys, our uh, player preview tune-ups have started. Uh, the one that caused the most, uh, the most discussion was surprisingly to me, at least the one uh, over Bruce Brown. Uh, there's a lot of debate about Bruce Brown's value in the comments. Uh, what, what are your expectations of Bruce coming into this year, Ben? 
it all sort of for me it all depends on his shooting um if we look at his numbers from a season ago uh terrible <laughs> there's no way around it uh he was worse from the field than a guy like Stanley Johnson was so to me it, it's really hard to win when you've got a guy in your starting lineup who is that much of a liability with the basketball in his hands. Um, you've already got a guy like Andre Drummond who you know you're not going to necessarily run a lot of plays through. Um, you're trying to build an offense around Blake Griffin and you want shooting around him, and then you put a guy out there who's shooting uh, 26 27%, I think actually 25% from three a season ago. Uh, so to me, that just doesn't get it done. Um, Certainly, defensively, he's very good. Um, but the thing about the 3 and D guys to me is you, you have to evaluate whether or not they're a net positive. So unless Bruce Brown is holding the guys he's guarding to, um, you know, like 33% from the field and 20% from deep, he's going to be a net negative, unfortunately. So to me, he, he's not a starting caliber player unless he's taken a significant improvement in his shooting over the course of the summer. Um, we got little peaks into that over the summer during summer league. I would expect during the preseason, he's going to get some run. He's going to get some shots. He's going to get a chance to prove whether or not that's improved. Um, you know, but to me, honestly, if I were developing the rotations for this current roster, I would go all in on the starting unit unit. I would not worry too much about, trying to balance out that second unit, I would go ahead and start Kennard and you put three shooters around Blake Griffin. So you've got Jackson who improved tremendously as a spot up shooter a season ago, Kennard who can move without the ball, um, be a secondary ball handler and shoot Snell. We know that he can shoot the ball has proven that throughout his career. Uh, and then Blake and Dre inside. That's the route I would go. Uh, and, and that moves Bruce Brown to the bench. And I think, honestly, if you do that, you can maybe maximize his skills a, a little bit more because he's not trying to be something he's not. He's not trying to provide space when he's not good at it. Um, I certainly understand the rationale of trying to maximize that second unit around Derrick Rose. And you want a guy like Luke Kennard paired with him because he can give you some space because Derrick is not exactly a, a shooter himself. Um but yeah, to me, I, I, that's the route I would go, and Bruce Brown ends up being the odd man out. Yeah, that makes a lot of that makes some sense to me. The way I look at it is, Bruce Brown, when he started last year, was was really effective, and the starting lineups, the five man units with him starting, were were also the Pistons' most effective starting lineups. Um, you know, over the course of the entire season, that's including the ones earlier in the year with Reggie Bullock. Uh, to me, having that element of just defensive presence in the starting lineup is so important um the the pistons never got in trouble last year when uh like as far as the bench goes the pistons bench got in trouble when they couldn't score not necessarily like when they couldn't defend and the starters got in trouble when they couldn't defend less less so when then when they couldn't store that when they couldn't score because you always had Blake and you always had to a lesser extent, you always had Reggie in the starting lineup and both of those guys could at least give you something on, on the offensive end. And so what I am, I've been intrigued by the thought of the Derrick Rose, Luke Kennard uh, backcourt, just like shredding teams. Um, that's an element that I think uh, the Pistons have not had in quite some time is like a really solid uh, bench unit from a scoring perspective. Um, 
you have to like ish was always a good ish could always get hot but he could never attack the basket quite like a derrick rose um luke Kennard, you know has continued to develop and will definitely get to handle the ball and we'll see more of his talents off of the bench than rather rather than in the starting lineup um and the other thing is if you move if you move bruce to the bench i I think his defensive talents are a little wasted right Uh, last year he was one of the he guarded the other team's uh best player uh some of the the most uh by like any individual player in the nba and so if you relegate a guy like that to the bench you're you're hoping to catch like a, a lou williams or somebody that that he's that his defensive talents are, are you know useful on but uh you know when this guy was you know guarding guys like james james harden guarding guys like trey young uh guarding guys like kyrie irving on a night night in and night out basis and doing you know a really good job of it for a rookie um, you, you would want to, you don't want to like use that guy against, you know, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, or that's a bad example, but it's <laughs> <laughs> actually pretty good. Yeah, it's actually pretty good, but I'm trying to think of, uh, like whoever Trey Young's backup ends up being in Atlanta, like maybe that's Evan Turner, right. Or whoever, uh, whoever like Damian Lillard's backup ends up being in Portland. It's like Anthony Simons, right? Like the, the, his defensive element is just like a tiny bit wasted whereas like luke's offensive elements coming off the bench like points are points are always useful you can the points the points count the same whether they're scored on the bench or or uh in the starting lineup and so i just i just appreciate the the elements of of balance that kind of brings to the roster to me for what it's worth it appears that the coaching staff agrees with me and that bruce is gonna start but it's interesting to me that this has been like such a hardcore a discussion among Pistons fans because of what you were saying, Ben, because Bruce's offensive numbers were so bad last season. Yeah. And I think underneath the conversation about a particular player is what is somebody's philosophy more broadly about today's NBA and what's more important. And, you know, as Pistons fans, I think historically we're, we're sort of groomed to highly value defense because that's how we've won all three championships, right? Our, greatest success has been teams who simply dominated on defense. Um, today's NBA, I, I, I don't, I'm not ready to argue this point, um, you know, hardcore yet, but I think the rules of the game have developed and changed and evolved just a little piece here, a little piece there over the last 15 or so years that defense isn't going to win championships anymore. I mean, your defense still has to be good, but, to be great, you have to have a great offense. And so I don't know for sure that that's true. It's just kind of what I think. And so to me, part of what I think is, um, you know, unless, you know, unless Bruce Brown can get himself to competent offensively, you're sort of chasing after um, a goal that you don't need to be chasing because you're not, you're not ultimately going to be um, you know, the difference between a 41 and a 45 win team this year is not whether Bruce Brown starts, obviously. But I do think that difference might be how much they can put the ball in the basket and whether or not they put their best shooters out there a majority of the time versus their worst shooters. So it, to me, it's not so much about Bruce. It's about, you know, what is your what is your understanding of what it takes to win in the NBA right now, the way the game has changed over the past, you know, even five years, let's not say 15, but even five. Does it does it alter your thinking at all when I tell you that the Toronto Raptors were I think uh, the single best defensive team in the playoffs last season? No, it doesn't. 
Um, because of the injuries, um, you know, yeah. if Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson don't get injured, that's not a series to me. I mean, yeah, the Warriors fair. run away with it. Um, but also, your I think your counter response to me could also be it's not fair to use the Warriors as the standard to judge every other team in the NBA because they were sort of historically talented that way. Definitely. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'm not 100% married to this point yet. It's just something I I kind of suspect. It's it's more of a hunch that. Defense is just less important now than it was, not because of the way people are playing, but because the the rules of the game. I mean, even something as simple as um, the way that the traveling rule has evolved over time. I was just talking on Twitter, actually, right before we recorded about there's a really interesting clip from the WNBA. And I forget the name of the woman who who nailed this really interesting sort of James Harden like one legged jumper at the buzzer. you know, in every other level of basketball, it would have been a travel. But at the professional level, the game is so um, so biased toward the offensive player that the defender is almost left without a chance. So that's kind of where I'm coming at the whole conversation from. No, that's fair. Uh, to bring it back into a little bit more of a concrete level surrounding Bruce Brown, uh, what do you think about his prospects as the uh, infamous point guard of the future? That was the other. <laughs> that, was, yeah, that was the other element of uh, of discussion that was uh, a result of the tune up. And so there's a lot of a lot of discussion about that. So what do you what do you think of that? You know, as I don't see it. Um, I don't see the ball handling. It, it's really as simple as that. I in Bruce, I see a guy who, with the ball in his hands, looks a bit uncomfortable. Again, we did have summer league, right? So so maybe there's more of summer league Bruce coming this preseason than there was of Bruce's rookie season. But I don't know. I just I don't see the ball handling there. What am I missing, if anything, on that front? No, I don't. I don't think you're missing anything i think it's uh it's a little bit of pistons fans being so uh not used to uh, combo guards or uh, having like effective combo guards when they they look at a guy who handles the ball and they say oh this guy must be a point guard it's also a function of like the coaching staff in the front office uh, touting him as a potential point guard that's that's definitely a big element of it as well but uh, i i also don't think he'll necessarily be a lead ball handler. Um, if you were going to be like a lead ball handler, this team isn't a bad place to do it with Blake Griffin, who would be like your, your real lead ball handler. Yeah. But yeah. but that's besides the point. I agree with you in that his, he doesn't have the like advanced ball handling that uh, he would need to get to be like a starting NBA point guard. But I think you look at his, especially you look at his uh, explosive first step, just being able to get got past guys without the benefit of a screen is just so supremely valuable from an offensive perspective that if he can ever if he can ever rein it in and start to finish a little bit better around the basket, that uh, I think you could absolutely uh, turn him into like a a legitimate like starter level uh, NBA player. Now, does that mean he's like necessarily a a quote unquote point guard? I don't know. If you, the thing that's been interesting to me actually is the thought of a, a future backcourt of Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard. Where, where neither one of them would be considered like a, a nominal point guard, but between the two of them, um, with a little bit more development from Bruce, there would be enough ball handling and uh, enough, you know, athleticism and rim attacking on Bruce's end, and enough skill and uh, and you know, defensive pressure for with the with the three point shooting and the threat of that on Luke's end to to have success. And so that's what I've been kind of thinking about in the in the future. You know, Langston Galloway and Reggie Jackson aren't going to be here forever. Like, what is and it Thank appears, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And it appears that like those two guys are kind of what what lies beyond. 
Yeah, well, first of all, your point about Blake Griffin is absolutely correct. He's an unconventional power forward, so you can maybe be a little unconventional in your other positions. I think that's a fantastic point. The other thing that comes to mind for me, just sort of stepping back and being critical of my own perspective, obviously the coaching staff is seeing things in practices that are close to the public that we don't see. And these are smart basketball people, right? Whether I agree with some of the rotation decisions or playmaking <laughs> or whatever, these guys didn't get to where they are by accident. So they must be seeing things, right? Like there must be a there there that the fans just haven't seen yet. Um, so I think it's always good to keep that in mind too. No, definitely. All right. I think that's, I think that's enough Bruce Brown talk. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Well, what else is on your mind, Ben? Like, we, we haven't talked in a while. I wonder, what's up? Yeah. I thought a lot about the Pistons this summer. You know, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm a dad of two. I spent a lot of time changing diapers and giving bottles. So I got, I got free time to let my mind wander. Right. So I want to wait to talk about wins and losses. I don't think we know enough about the final roster. I don't think we have any clue about rotations that we're just making best guesses. But I think the the one thing I do want to say is that I think there are reasons to be cautiously optimistic about the team this year. Um, I left this, in the comments, it's been several weeks now. I kind of got into it and disputed Steve Hinson's post about how good the Pistons are. Um, I've done some number crunching and some rotation analysis, and I can see this team with reasonable health being any anywhere between 40 and 49 wins. 49 wins being crazy unlikely, but but not out of the realm of possibility. Sort of contrast that with what we've seen in the national media about the Pistons. We've seen over-unders as low as 37, 37 and a half wins. Uh, Zach Lowe had a piece either yesterday or the day before. I think it was Friday, so two days ago. Um, sort of analyzing the various tiers of the NBA. And he didn't even bother doing an analysis of the Pistons. He just wrote kind of one sentence, like this tier should be named after the Pistons. And it was sort of the bubble fringe playoff team, fringe not playoff team. So um, if you're just paying attention to the national news, I think there are reasons to be pretty down on the Pistons. But I, I do think there's a winning rotation on this roster. I think there are enough quality players um, to be a winning team and to be a an exciting team to watch as a fan because one, there will be some good basketball that gets played on the court Two, you're going to have sort of superstar level guys that you can really cheer for. And then three, you're going to have some young guys who I think maybe surprise you at points and and maybe give you some real hope um, for the next several years beyond just the, just the current year. And the simplest way I could make this argument to anyone is this, the Pistons literally have improved at every single position where they've brought in new talent over a season ago. And a season ago, they won 41 games and probably would have won 43 to 45 had Blake Griffin not gotten hurt at the end of the season. So to me, it's really hard to talk me into the idea that they're somehow worse when the overall talent base got better and they were a 500 team a season ago. So that's the last thing I want to say to everyone listening. This is not going to be a great team. This is not going to be a first round home court advantage playoff sort of team, but I think there will be a lot of fun to be had. I think we can really enjoy this team. I think we can root for them and feel good about it and ultimately have a lot of fun. Only one team every season wins the championship. It ain't going to be us, but if we have some realistic expectations, I think we can have, have a lot of fun being Pistons fans this season what's on your mind lads it's been a, it's been a long summer 
So it has been a long summer, and you you bringing up that Zach Lowe piece is just uh, just perfection because that that was exactly kind of what was on my mind because uh, you know you're right in that Lowe is usually like quite good at analysis and usually quite thorough, um, and so to see the the Pistons kind of relegated to his like three column uh, jokes was was pretty disappointing. But uh, but he's been a guy who's talked about on podcasts how high he is on uh, on the Miami Heat and on yeah. and on the other teams in the Eastern Conference. And you know when I look at those rosters, uh, you know for research purposes, for we've got some uh, content coming up at Detroit Bad Boys that's going to deal with uh, things that happened around the league. And so when I'm looking around the league, when I'm looking at the Pistons competition to see you know how they're going to fare over the course of the regular season. You know, I, I don't necessarily see a team that is just uh, – I don't see more than like four or five teams that are just clearly going to be better than, than the, where are the, where the Pistons are right now. You know, the regular season is, is a long time. It's for, until, you know, April, a lot of stuff can happen in between now and then. You never know who changes teams. You never know who develops internally. You never know like what coaches get fired or what hirings really mattered. Uh, you never know like, – what unnecessarily uh, uh, the same coaching staff does adjustments, et cetera. But uh, when you just look at the talent around that's distributed around the uh, bottom to middle third of the Eastern conference, I I just don't see a team that is just so much clearly better uh, than the Detroit Pistons at this time. You know, Indiana, maybe when Victor Oladipo gets back, if he's fully healthy and uh, hits the ground running, I could see them uh, being in a tier above the Pistons. But you know, you look at Miami; they have they have a lot of outstanding questions, like who who handles the ball when Jimmy Butler doesn't handle the ball. Um, how do they how do they grab a rebound in crunch time? Bam right. Adebayo is not an amazing rebounder. Um, you know, uh, Blake Griffin is an injury concern. To be fair, so is Jimmy Butler. What do they do for the fifteen to twenty games Jimmy Butler doesn't play? You know, you look at Orlando. Uh, Orlando has. Uh, they have one starting quality point guard that we know of and a giant question mark in Markel Fultz, um, who, a guy who I think I wish I would have liked to see more of in the preseason. I'm going to you know, try and see much, as much of him as I can. Um, but they have a lot of – when you talked about earlier in the podcast, this, the, uh, the rules of the game is slightly biased themselves toward offense. Uh, in the, my, the Orlando Magic are a team that like, does, does not have many players who can take advantage of those rules. Right? They have a lot of defense-first individuals. They had a lot of players with contract years that uh, performed extremely well in those contract years. What happens uh, if they regress, you know, from those career best numbers? Um, you look at even a team uh, like like Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn has a lot of a lot of chemistry questions, right? Like Kyrie Irving came into uh, a situation in Boston and uh, you know was talented, was was great on the basketball court, but you know not necessarily great for the locker room. Could could it repeat itself in Brooklyn, a place that has prided itself on kind of uh, rebuilding itself from the ashes? Um, could the DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen situation that I can see a point in time when they, that would cause some tension because Jared Allen is quite better than DeAndre Jordan and only one of those guys got $40 million in soft season. <laughs> right. So yeah, there, when I when I look around the the league and I see what the Pistons are up against, there in my mind, there's no reason why it can't, it can't be us, right? There, there's no, there's no outstanding reason why it can't be us. And that, that's kind of what I've been thinking about uh, during the summer. 
All right. So, and I guess to bring up the magic, the Pistons next, uh, their first preseason game is Monday, today, if you're listening to this tomorrow. Um, it's up against the magic. Uh, how close are you going to watch the preseason, Ben? Like, what, what are you going to, what are you going to be looking for since we know that uh, it's not going to be exactly what we're going to see in the regular season? <laughs> yeah, I have a love hate relationship with the preseason. I, I kind of always joke that I take it about as seriously as NBA starters do, which is. <laughs> I, you know, I pay about one fourth attention, right? Like I, I play, I watch for a quarter, like they play for a quarter. Um, so, but, but seriously though, things to consider, I don't care at all about wins and losses. They don't mean anything. Obviously, if you're a competitor, you always want to win. And if you're a fan who's a competitor, you want to see your team win, but I wouldn't get hung up on that. Um, <clears throat> a couple things I will be looking at, uh, what sort of rotations does Casey put together? Um, especially that second unit, um, what sort of offensive schemes does he build around those rotations? Those things are really interesting to me. Um, Obviously you're going to have guys who are sort of fighting for a justification to be on the roster. Um, So we look at Joe Johnson, Christian Wood, Langston Galloway, Kyrie Thomas, those other guys we talked about who stands out in as close to real NBA action as you can get other than the regular season. Um, And then I'm going to be looking at the young guys, right? So I think in order for the Pistons to be as successful as I hope they can be, at least one of those guys who are part of this young core need to do something that they didn't do a season ago. You know, maybe that means Bruce Brown shooting 30% from three. Maybe it's V establishing himself, you know, as a reliable full-time backup small forward. Maybe Kyrie Thomas surprises us all with his ball handling skills, right? And maybe he finds his way into the NBA rotation. And hey, who knows, maybe Father Time uh, gets beat for a year and Joe Johnson surprises us all. <laughs> and establish himself as the small ball power forward, <laughs> right? Of, of our dreams. Uh, of distance, yeah. Right. So, you know, those are the things I'm looking at. Forget the win losses stuff, but, you know, be keyed into those things that can actually have a difference when the regular season gets here, especially around those young guys. No, that's- And sorry if you heard baby gulks in the background uh, screaming there. Not <laughs> sure if you could. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh, we we love and appreciate baby gulks here on the Detroit Bad Boys <laughs> podcast. No, uh, I, all of those are excellent points. Um, when when I look at the preseason, you're looking to see, I guess, exactly that um, the the roster combinations, the lineup combinations. Um, I have I this will be this will hopefully be our best and uh, closest look at the rookie Sekou Dumbuya, and so oh, yeah. I'm I'm really intrigued by him, obviously, and so being able to see him for more than like the 14 minutes he played in Vegas will be, will be pretty useful. Um, and then even, even last night when I'm, when I was looking at clips of the, uh, the Warriors and, and the Lakers preseason game, like there, there are definitely elements you, you can take away from things, right? Like um, you could, it, it was early, but you could tell like uh, Dwight Howard was a recent addition to the Lakers and his teammates were like trying to throw him alley-oops. Like it was like 2008 Dwight Howard. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, like he he doesn't have it like that anymore, right? And so you're looking for you're looking for things like that, right? You're looking for uh, who who kind of has it, who's ready mentally, who's ready physically, um, and and what they can accomplish in that way. Uh, I'm another in you know kind of in that vein. Uh, Reggie Jackson improved in health as the season went on. Um, obviously he was he was dunking more. He was more aggressive in the pick and roll. Uh, he had that. Uh, that putback dunk at the end of uh, at the end of the half in game four that's been like replaying on everyone's minds uh, all summer and so I'll be 
in particular, I'll be really interested to see how he looks physically because, uh, you know, as we know, a physically healthy Reggie is like an above average starting point guard in the NBA and uh, has the type of skill set the Pistons can, you know, desperately take uh, into account and uh, desperately need. And so like having that guy being able to uh, run a consistent like 1.05 points per possession pick and roll with Andre Drummond and have that be an, uh, an alternative uh, to successful offense that's like not that doesn't necessarily have to involve Blake Griffin at all you know per or per our earlier discussion about like things the Pistons can do to to keep the workload off of Blake like a, a really healthy Reggie Jackson is is a large part of one of those main things and so I'll be looking to see how healthy he is and how healthy the team can keep him all right yeah, this was a lot of fun we you know, haven't done this in a while it's good to be back it's good to... we talked we talked for 40 minutes and we haven't even played a minute of basketball yet so i'd say we're we're approaching regular season form already it's uh yeah it's, it's preseason for all of us so, so since it's been so long ben uh you know what's your twitter like what's what's the plan for you at uh at detroit bad boys looking forward yeah so hit me up on twitter um gosh i really i keep saying i'm gonna keep writing again but i keep struggling to find the time um there's so many amazing writers at Detroit bad boys right now. Um, wow. We have an amazing staff, Sean Corp, our guy who, who runs the blog did an amazing job recruiting over the course of the summer. Um, so even if I'm not as involved writing, I'm definitely, I think there's some things to maybe, uh, argue about, get a little surly in the comments. So, uh, yeah, hit me up on Twitter at BR Golker. Um, let's talk in the comments too. Cause I, I love talking to Pistons. It's a lot of fun. And, and it, obviously you do too, or you wouldn't be listening or, are contributing yeah uh as always you can hit me up on twitter at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e sean did a real did do an amazing job of uh, picking up some talent for us during the off season um it was funny to me that uh, in the comments of uh in the comments of some post uh somebody i said like is, is this pretty is this brady frederickson of pistons powered and it's like no, like, like Brady's been here a year. Like he's Brady, he's yeah. Brady of Detroit Bad Boys at this yeah. point. And yeah. so, like, yeah, we we just keep making moves. We just keep adding people. Well, and I think this, the staff is, and this is no offense to anyone else who's running the Pistons blog, but by by far the best staff writing on any of the popular fan blogs. No, so, no, no, shots fired, Ben. Shots fired. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> no there there are definitely a lot of there's a lot of great pistons content uh out there on the internet but we uh here at detroit bad boys are pleased to be able to uh, give you the the absolute best of that and so we are we are always grateful uh and and in our abilities to do that all right uh this has been the detroit bad boys podcast we are we are back so we will see you guys next week <laughs>